Today's episode is brought to you by Canvas. Do you know how long it takes you to measure and model an as-built? Probably more time than you'd like. Canvas replaces hours of manual measuring with a few minutes of scanning with your iPhone or iPad. And Canvas eliminates the hours, if not days, of taking your measurements and turning them into a 3D as-built or 2D floor plan, all for pennies per square foot. You can try Canvas for free and download it at www.canvas.io and make sure to use promo code BF23. That's www.canvas.io and promo code BF23. All right, now back to the show. Hey, I'm Spencer Powell, and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey, and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Chad and Diane Hatfield, originally of Hatfield Builders and Remodelers, and now part of the Allaire Homes organization. Today was a great conversation. Got to talk to Chad and Diane about lots of family dynamics, evolutions of the construction business, and now their big shift into where they're heading over the next several years. So let's dive into my conversation with Chad and Diane Hatfield. Hey, Chad. Hey, Diane. How are you guys today? Good, Spencer. How are you? Doing good. We'll give everyone a little bit of context. Who are you? What's the company? Where are you guys located? So we're in Plano, Texas. It's my wife and I have been at this for 18 years, since 2005. We started, actually started the company off. My wife wasn't involved in the business. It was me and my brother and father started off building spec homes in 06. It just turns out to be not so hot of a time to Built some spec houses. Oh man, yeah. So 0506, and you guys just started, and you just decided, hey, let's build some houses, or like, what prompted you guys to to go down that path? I think my my brother had come up with had come up with an idea to do that, and I was I was in construction, so my brother thought, hey, he can build them. There you go. That's yeah, how a lot that's... of things start, right? It's just like I got this idea, let's roll and. <laughs> that's that's yeah. how it goes. Well, yeah, maybe maybe talk a little bit about those first few years, like. Building specs and you know trying to block the, that out. What's the yeah? <laughs> well, we're gonna go back there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've I've really tried to block that out. Try the crummy word. I have blocked that out, Spencer. Okay. But we built we built built four houses. Five. Oh, we built one, two, five or six first, honey. I can't even remember. And we we lost a substantial amount of money on the on the first four. That we did. I built a house for the first house I built was for my brother and his wife, which which was that was a that was an experience. I'll just leave it there. My brother and I brother and I haven't talked since 2017. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's another experience. The second house we built was 
was one that Diane and I, Diane and I bought for ourselves. And they built four other, four other specs and the market was going down at that point. And that just didn't turn out very well. Yeah. Yeah. Well then maybe since you blocked a lot of that out, maybe like, let's move past that, that a little bit, you know, like kind of what happened. a lot of lessons learned. I'll just say that. I think (laughs) there's, you can't go back and say, oh, we would be just exactly who we are today if we had not have been there. It wasn't an awesome time in my life that I would just like totally want to do again. But at the same time, how, what perspective can you have for an appreciation for the liability that building spec homes really does have. And, and like, that's, you can, you can win big, but you can lose big. And that's a big eye-opening experience thinking that you're going to go into it and you're just going to win instantly. And that's not always the case. Yeah. I think that's great perspective. And now, now I'm curious, like, what are a couple of the lessons, you know, that you feel like you took away from that, that really served you down the road? The first one is I should have followed my mom's advice. Could have followed my mom's advice and not worked with family. Mm. That would have been the number one. I I think in certain rare circumstances that works out well for some, but for me and everyone else that I know that's gone into business with family, it has not worked out well. And I would just encourage people not to do that. But that's the biggest one. The second one is go with your gut. We had my father and brother and I had decided on what we were going to build. We we're going to build on on the zero lot lines for empty nesters, so mostly one story houses. We wound up my brother wound up having the plans designed for houses that were four thousand plus square feet, lots of second floor, and ate up the whole lot. So take that, fast forward it into going to a recession, and you know that doesn't turn out so well when you have the biggest houses on the smallest lots. The other part of that is know what you're getting into. Have a mentor to work with because didn't really have one. And when my brother purchased the lots, and I'm not trying to dump this on my brother because he didn't know either, right? Neither one of us understood how to really buy a lot from a developer. So the things that we automatically had to start off, put $15,000 worth of retaining walls on each one of these lots in 05. And if we would have had more experience with that, we would have negotiated that into the lot purchase, but yeah. we didn't know to do that. It's just, it's all those little things that now you're starting off with a basis of 15 grand on each one of those houses that other people don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then building something that we would want versus building what the market should market can bear. And I think that was another thing about it. There was a lot of, you know, if we could compare the houses that we were building to other people's houses that they were building in the spec market, there was a lot of differences that that we know could not have been seen to the average homeowner, average purchaser. Now, granted, we can sleep because what we did was the right way to build a house. But there was also a lot of things that we did that didn't necessarily make up for it in the the actual market. So it was just another lesson financially to have learned. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, those are hugely powerful lessons. And especially if you don't repeat, you know, you're able to just take them and not repeat them or not repeat them a whole bunch of times or you know, however it shakes out. But yeah. well, I guess like fast forward us a couple of years, like after you kind of get through probably having trouble selling those and everything, like what did the kind of few years look like coming out of the, the recession? I was also a professional real estate inspector. And I had done that for a number of years before we started building houses. And I was in commercial construction after I got out of college and went into the inspection business. So that was important because I had a lot of real estate connections that came out of that. And I had uh, had a lot of real estate agents 
that were talking to me about, oh, my client wants to do a kitchen. They want to do this. You have a building company, right? You want to, do you want to look at that? And I thought, no, I don't want to, I don't want to remodel someone's house. I don't want to do that. What a PIA that's going to be. And I finally just said yes to one of them. I think that was end of 07 or 08. So that woman, Gladys Blumen, referred us to I, 15 different people. Wow. And I mean, we just finished a $1.5 million project in Dallas just a couple months ago that said that woman is in the same circle as Gladys Blumen. It's not Gladys that referred her to us. But I can go back and look at a lot of our favorite clients, and it, it comes down from the fruit of that same tree. And that's really just how that started. We did Gladys's kitchen. She referred us, and then the people would tell us, you know, Gladys was really happy. And if if you made Gladys was happy, you know, that says something. And, and we're not like Gladys. We'll be easy to work with. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it just it kind of grew organically from there. It was crazy how, and it took us a little while to understand that, but it was probably five or six years later, we're still working with these clients in the circle, right? So you could trace it all back. It's like, whatever, it's like, who was related back to Kevin Bacon? It was like, we can all trace it back to Gladys Blumen. It's crazy how it happened. And I'm so grateful that we took the plunge and decided to do that because it's something that I know Chad is really good at. And you know those particular clients that we've had as a referral, generally speaking, have been really amazing to work with. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And so that kind of set you down the the remodeling path. Did you guys just do remodels for a while then, or that's the majority of our work is remodeling? Yeah. I'm a I'm of course members of Nary. I'm a certified I'm a master certified remodeler, and I'm a master certified kitchen and bath remodeler. But that I think I joined Nary in two thousand eight or nine. Yeah. I can't remember, but that's that was really the first getting connected with professionals in the industry and really starting to sit down and just talk with people, even though it was really intimidating when you're just getting started and you have this little tiny business and you're like, gosh, I don't know if I can afford the membership dues. Yeah. <laughs> and then to sitting down with guys that have been doing business for 15 or 20 years and and they're just sharing things with you because they care. And they want to, you know, they know, they understand that the more professional the market is, the better it is for everybody. So that that helped us a ton, getting involved yeah. in professional organizations. And we went from we went from I I'm trying to call it Nary to because that's what Nary tells you to call it, but it, I'll always call it Nari because Nary sounds so nasally. <laughs> but we back in I think it was the 2000 end of 2012 we we sought out and got involved with Remodelers Advantage and joined a roundtable there, and it's just a progression of things to another level until you know, now we're we're where we're at now where we've taken our taken what I call our legacy business which was Hatfield Builders and Remodelers and we've moved it into a layer. Yeah. That was yeah. 3 years ago, a little over 3 years ago. Cool. Yeah, I want to get into that a little bit, but yeah, it's kind of interesting hearing you talk about just transition from spec into remodeling. My uncles and their their my grandfather and great grandfather, I mean, they just did so many specs for, you know, decades and decades and yeah, they would probably do I don't know 30, 40, 50 houses a year out in the Seattle market and then yeah, the crash hits and shifted into remodeling. That's kind of how I got into to the whole business, but I I think that that caused a lot of builders to look at remodeling, you know, through that. Just hearing you talk about it, I'm like, mm-hmm. this probably happened all over the country. <laughs> Everyone's like, 
we're going to at least have this as a division or, you know, that's how, right. how my family business did it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and they're both construction, right? New home construction and remodeling are both residential construction, but the similarities kind of end there. And there's yeah. the tray. A lot of the trades don't straddle those lines and ones, ones that are really good at remodeling. You try to get them in a new construction and they're three times too expensive. And so they just don't, they just don't cross the lines a lot on the trade side. And then it's a whole new experience for a home builder when there's people living in a house and you're only working on part of it. It is not the same getting them to move out, understanding why they need to move out. And it's for their sanity and yours. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's whole, a whole yeah. Thing. It's a service, not a product anymore. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's not the tile guy needs to show up on Thursday. It's what time on Thursday is the tile guy going to be there? Did he clean up afterwards when he left? You know, is the tile right? Because they're going to come home that day. Even if they're not living there, a lot of times they'll drive by for what we call the happy hour. And if they haven't cleaned up or there's something wrong there, it's the unhappy hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious as you guys like landed the first remodel and then got it, these referrals and you did your first few projects, like what were kind of some of those early lessons or aha moments as you made that shift into to remodels? Ooh. Boy, now I'm trying to remember back in the 09 and 10. You did everything. I mean, you you yeah. were you built a website, you de- designed everything. So, like you want to talk about every single hat in the business, Chad wore it. I would moonlight for the business on my days off as a registered nurse. And so I kind of got into a little of the background here and there, but just seeing seeing him work on every single aspect of it. It intimately knows the details of all of those single aspects is how I believe you've been able to build a successful business because there was no hat you were not wearing. It was every single one. And you understood it and had to move it to the next generation, next generation. But it also leaves those owners with like, okay, I'm going to have to peel my fingers off of this little piece and give that to somebody else as we grow because I can't do everything. That's the only way, right? Is having the, the right people support you from underneath. And it's been challenging lesson at times but all that it's it's good because now he's working from his zone of strength and not from having to do absolutely everything which is not a zone of strength yeah and doing everything is is one of those things that you're as an owner owners are crazy you have to do whatever you have to do to keep it to keep things running which means you're doing everything from answering the phone and sales to you know scheduling vendors responsible for you know ensuring that the things are going going right at the projects, estimating stuff. I, I worked seven days a week for years, years and years and years. Missed out on a lot of time with, with our children when they were just babies. In doing that, I remember one time, you know, putting an estimate together for, uh, you know, I'll call it a bid. <laughs> I was sitting in my wife's car on a laptop on a Saturday night, tethered to my cell phone, and she was driving us to her, her company work party which was a pretty big deal. And we get there and she's like, are you done? It's like 45 minute drive. Like, are you done? I said, I said, oh, I'll be in in just a second. Like what in the hell was I thinking? Did I, did I get that job center? Hell no. No. Why was I spending my time doing that that way? But you got to learn somehow how to do this. And it was, it became just a, just a habit. Every Saturday, I'm entering invoices into our accounting system because I've been anal about job costing the numbers from the, from the second I built it by myself. 
because that's critical. So just working every, every Saturday and then feeling guilty if I didn't work on Sunday. And I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning and start putting pictures into things like house and other things myself. <laughs> just mark the projects up accordingly because there's cost to doing business. And you need to be able to have some semblance of a life, even when you're starting it. So anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll ramble on about it, but there's a lot to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those early years, I mean, yeah, it's either either have time or money and usually you don't have money because you're just getting started unless you're just going to like, you've got somebody at a bank roll you and you can hire two or three people, but that's super uncommon. So you just, you bootstrap it until you can get to that point where like, okay, I can hire somebody. So yeah, it yeah. makes a makes a ton of sense. When well, when do you think like you stop working the the Saturdays or like able to pull back from that? I'd say probably thirteen to fourteen. Yeah. I still work. I still worked a lot of Saturdays, but not every Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was. I mean, it was. It was. It was a lot. You do whatever you have to do, and it's. This is an industry too that has a low barrier to entry, especially in Texas. There's no contractor licensing laws, which not a fan of regulation, but I don't really agree with that. Uh, but uh, because there's a low bar to entry, a lot of people get into it. And most of the most of the people that I come across work way too hard at it. They care, they care a lot, but they're they're you know a solopreneur at it and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to make all of it work. And a lot of times they don't even know if they're making money or how much money they're making, but they know that they're working their rear end off. There's a lot of really good, a lot of really good people that are in it that just, it grinds them into dust. Yeah. In thinking about that, you know, like a lot of good people or even just like your experience where you're like working all the time, what were a couple of the like decision points or pivot points in the business that allowed you to like get past that or start to make that transition from like, you're just working all the time, wearing all the hats. Can you think of one or two things that you're like, man, I should have done that like five years prior or three or whatever it was? Yeah. Well, if I see, if I keep saying should to myself, I know should the judgmental word. So I'll just use the word could, right? There's a lot of things I could do differently, but that's, you know, that's experience, right? So, you know, it was in, it was in early 2013 when I joined Remodelers Advantage that I met Paul Winans and I love Paul. Great guy. Paul's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, Paul, we sat down with Paul after meeting him at, at a conference in January. And I believe by about April, we were no longer doing anything for free. Right. You just make the decision, make the decision to say, okay, I'm going to go from this, from this lunacy of how can I estimate a project faster and more accurately? Well, that doesn't exist especially when you have no design and you have no selections and you have no information, but you're trying to get to a more accurate number faster. It's crazy. It doesn't work no matter what system you try because every one of these is a unicorn. They're a prototype every time. So, but you go from that place of how can I estimate this faster and more accurately to get these numbers to these people faster to how do I focus just on the people that I'm going to work with? How do I, how do I get things more accurate? Well, we've got to have some tools to have things be more accurate. First of all, I've got to have enough time, which means I needed help in the business. But it also means you've got to have a process in place 
to deal with people as they come in. So you just, it's not as common to people, and it was really uncommon in 13, to tell people, we don't bid projects. That's not what we do. We're going to focus on the people that we work with instead of five to six people for every one project that we work on. Because we just can't put enough time into those other five or six to give them meaningful numbers anyway. So that was a major shift, was really putting together a process with Paul of shifting to, we're only going to work with people that are paying us. We're going to charge, we're going to charge a planning fee, a design fee for that and just focus on that. And then we'll have a separate agreement for construction. So that started that for us. And then another one was I met Mike DeFabian, who was DeFabian Remodeling in Charlotte. I met him in January, same conference, met him at the bar. And Mike walks up to me and I'd seen him a couple of times that day. We sat at the same table and Mike walks up and in characteristic Mike fashion, he kind of laughs and he goes, I don't mean to be rude, but you look like you're a miserable bastard. Why are you here? <laughs> and I, and I, I just was like, huh. Okay, I'll, I won't take that as rude. I try not to anyway. <laughs> but Mike starts asking me a lot of questions. Mike, Mike's been in business longer than me. And he's asked me a lot of questions because he has a very well-running business. Had it at the time then too. He's in asking me all these questions. It's, it comes down to, you know, what are you charging for a project? Blah, blah, blah. What do you need? What's your revenue? Well, I needed to have an office manager and somebody else. And he said, okay, well, that's about this much per person per year. So that's about 10% more revenue. You need to raise your prices by 10%. I said, okay. He goes, so what's the project you're pricing right now? So where's the kitchen? He goes, hey, have you given them the pricing yet? I said, no. He said, okay, what's the price at? I said, it's something like 50000 It's a laughable number at this point. Laughably small. Yeah. And he, he goes, good. Well, tell him it's fifty-five. I said, oh, my God, I can't do that. They'll never buy it. And he goes, my friend, if they're not going to buy it at 55, they're not going to buy it at 50. So tell them it's 60. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said, Mike, that is impossible. They, they just will not buy it from there. And he goes, Chad, let me tell you something. My friend, you have built your own little prison. And until you decide to raise your prices, you will remain there. And it's your choice. If you're not going to charge for the tools that you need, then stop bitching about it because I don't want to hear about it anymore. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was the advice. That was that was what I needed in that moment, Spencer. Yeah. I love that. So did you charge 60 or 55? <laughs> I think uh, mid 50s, I think. Yeah. yeah. I Just remember really, the project. <laughs> really great, really great client. We became friends with them, really great people. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, 
We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. Maybe let's get into some stories in construction. There's always like, crazy client stories or a wacky project or something oh. goes super haywire. How much time um, do you have? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we can keep going. Let's do it. If you got, if you got some good ones. Uh, oh God. Yeah. Obviously leave out oh. personal details, but uh, if there's, if there's one or two that come to mind, we'd love to hear. Oh, them. <laughs> man. Oh man. I had a client. I won't, I won't say his name. It was about 2017 or 16. Oh. Mm. The wood floors, you know who I'm talking about. His name was synonymous with what it felt like. But this is this is the guy that we finished. We finished this project. We had to fire the project manager in the middle of it. And so the client, you know, we didn't give the client the best experience for sure. But as with any other project we do, we're never going to leave anything unfinished. And it's going to be right no matter what. And we get down to the end of this and we finish the wood floors. And, and it's a lot of wood floors. It's a almost a couple thousand feet in the downstairs with a really high-end, very modern kitchen built on top of it, super clean lines. And this client, there were a couple spots where the floor guy had, he could have done a better job. And my team, my team let the floor guy try to come back and fix those spots instead of just saying, refinish the floor. So let him try once, then we let him try again. And they were going to let him try a couple times, another time. And the client was like, what are we doing? You know, now I want to have a certified wood floor inspector come out and look at it because I don't think they're doing it right. And yeah, I don't blame him for wanting to do that. But anyway, that, that adds the, what we were going to do was stand and refinish the floor, the entire thing at one time, which is what needed to happen to do it. A couple little spot repairs in the wood that needed to be done. The floor did not look bad before by the way, but it still needed to be sanded and refinished. We got the commitment out of the wood flooring company to do that. And the day before we're supposed to start when the client said, oh, I want to get a certified wood floor inspector involved. Well, that was like June of that year. So we finally, he gets a certified wood floor inspector. We get one too. Now it's December and everyone's like, yep, floors, floors installed correctly. Well, no kidding, <laughs> right? We don't hire, we don't hire fly-by-night people. Floors installed correctly and it needs to be refinished. Great, let's refinish it. And we have an extremely cold January. And I get a call from him panicked towards the middle or end of January that there's something wrong with this floor. It's cracking and splitting everywhere. And it's just, it's horrible. And you know, go over there and the floor has dried out. The humidity level is like negative 30. I mean, it's really cold. So there's no humidity in the air. The wood floors dried out. We get the certified wood floor inspector back. And he's like, yeah, you need to raise the humidity level in the house. So the client is flipping out. 
about it. We get humidifiers in there, which is not our responsibility to do, but we did it anyway. We get the floor, we get the floor back to where the humidity level in the wood is, is high. The moisture level in the wood's high enough, and the wood floor looks like it should, ready to be refinished. So we refinished it. Now it's about May. So we're almost a year after that. And he is crawling on his hands and knees with a flashlight, won't move his furniture in, looking at the wood floor. And I get another wood flooring company out there who another another expert had it. And the gentleman that came out to look at it with me and this client, as he's climbing around on the floor with his hands and knees, looking at at little pieces, there's this little spot. And he's like, we're in the dining room. And this other other contractor is asking him, he's like, so the standard is actually eye level, uh, six feet back, I believe. Could be wrong on that, but it's some distance back at eye level. Like, I can't see that from here. And he said, are are you going to have a rug in this room? I said, yeah. Are your guests going to crawl around and crawl under the rug and with a flashlight and look for that? He's like, well, no. He goes, I advise you, sir, to put your rug in here, put your dining room table in, and start using the space. He's like, look, the team did a good job with the floors. And you, you need to make sure that you have a good humidity level in this house. And you also need to make sure you get some window coverings on those floor to, those floor to ceiling windows that are in there. That's why that's cracking and splitting. They're in direct sunlight. Anyway, we get through all that. And we get all the way to the end. He's, he's finally accepted everything. It's June again. So now it has been a year. He's starting to move his stuff in and he, he looks and he's like, Oh, do you see this one little spot? And I just like, holy shit. Are you kidding me? And he goes, ah, I'm going to have a rug in this room anyway. It's not a big deal. Oh my gosh. Mind you <laughs> that it, the conversations that went, it took place between our project manager, Chad, this client for a year got to the point where they were relatively heated to where Myself or one of our female designers would have to go with the guys to his house to meet him physically in person because he would not be nearly as verbally abusive with a woman standing around as he would with the guys. And it was that to me was the craziest thing is like you have that little respect for anybody. I get that you're trying to be respectful to women. That's fine. Whatever. Knock yourself out. But no level of disrespect need to be had for anybody as a part of it. And it was just one thing after another. And it was just, oh my gosh. Well, the hard part for us was that he still owed us the the remaining balance on his project, which was not a small amount of money. In the end, Chad, I'll let you, I'll let you wrap up that story. We were sitting in our, we were sitting in our office going over, going over the reconciliation at the end. And he's, he's bringing up more and more stuff. And it's about, I think it's about $30,000 that he owes us, something like that. He's like, well, I mean, we had to, they had to move my furniture into this room and there's a spot on this chair and like, come on, really? You know, we've got pictures of all of this. There's, there's no spot. And I finally just looked at him and I said, so you want, you want another chair? He goes, well, yeah, they're only available instead of two. I said, okay. So I'll tell you what, I'll buy those chairs for you. He's like, okay. I said, but I'm going to want to take the other chairs that are damaged to my house. So I'll just come by. I'll bring you a check for them. 
and I'll pick those up and I'll go. Cause if I'm going to pay for them, I'm going to let my kids sleep on them. The dogs sleep on them and just, he's like, Hmm, that's okay. We don't need to do that. <laughs> like, huh? Really? Hmm. Hmm. And he paid his bill. Well, but yeah, it was, <laughs> that was uh, one of the ones where you just like, uh, when the client's, telling you you're going to rip this entire kitchen out and you're because the floor went underneath the cabinetry you're going to rip this out you're going to rip all these floors out like no that would not be the right thing to do for you yeah yeah oh man well that's a good one yeah gosh i'm sure you're glad to be like all right oh that was a (laughs) that was a cocktail filled evening when that check cleared oh i bet yeah that's a big celebration Oh man. Well, thanks for sharing. There's always like, there's always stuff like that. Everyone's got God. Oh, God, Spencer, you, you start to think, you start to think, you know, God, why are you using me as a vehicle to punish these people? Right. <laughs> if you don't have a story or two like that, you just haven't been in, in this business long enough. So just wait, it'll happen to you. Just, at some just keep point. going. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're all unfortunately just as cringy as the next one, because there's always somebody around that's going to do something unethical there's people justify lots of things to themselves and uh, you know that's why it's really important to in my opinion to have a good planning process because that's like dating and you've got to have the intestinal fortitude at the end of that to say no Mm -hmm. you see red flags in that because god you sign a construction agreement that's getting married and the divorce is ugly so that's well said. <laughs> it is awful. So yeah. we all think in this business, especially times like right now where things are slower, that we need work. But the second that we really make decisions based on that mindset of needing work, that's when you get yourself into projects like that with clients that that but don't understand that perfection is not obtainable. And the pursuit of it is extremely expensive and it's incredibly incredibly difficult to bring to any conclusion, but they'll never be happy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's good. Well, I'm curious. We can fast forward a little bit, you know, move past the tough, like, what are you guys up to today and what's on the horizon the next few years? Yeah. Right now, you know, right now, like I said, about three years ago, we, we were invited to join a lair. We became partners in a lair. We moved our old business into a lair. That was a, that was a really interesting it was a really interesting time. It's something I would have never expected that I would ever have done. I was exploring it, thinking, yeah, that's, that's a I can't see myself doing that, but I have some friends that are in there, and I'll I'll see what what it's about for myself after they reached out to me. And that was, was an incredibly good decision for us, because uh, you know as I reflect back, Spencer, on how have we gotten to where we are, uh, unintentionally put myself into into different groups like Nari and then Remodelers Advantage, in which there's people that are better at aspects of the business than me. And uh, you know, they've they cared enough about me to hold up a mirror. And I've looked in that mirror and thought, that's interesting why they're showing me this. And you learn. So if you're not surrounding yourself with groups of people that that have, you know, more to offer or better at not everything in the business, but some parts of it for sure, then then you're really not being challenged in my opinion. At least that's what it was for me. And when we got we got into a lair, 
our average project size has gone up. We that was intentional for us to do. The processes that we go through are are very similar, a little different, but still the same. We have a planning process, which is about getting the, the right tools created. So we need professional design, architecture, interior design. Then we need all the selections done so that when we're looking at, at pricing and numbers, we're looking at real numbers and we're not asking the vendors and trades to guess. So you get to a place where you have the planning process. We know what, what all the costs and all the materials and finish is going to be. And then we start talking about a construction agreement, if that's what makes sense to everybody. So most of the time that does. But for the client's protection and in, in a way for our own, we don't have to do that. So we did it before, before a layer. We do it in a layer, similar, but not the same. And we've, we've raised our average project size from about 120 to, I believe it's about 400 right now, 350, 400. Nice. And that, is, that has been, you know, the smaller projects take just about as much time to set up as the larger ones. And it's, we're moving towards, towards really just only working with people that have professional design. Because they don't have the design, you're asking people to guess. And when they're guessing, there's risk for the client, but there's risk in it for us too. Even though we recoup the dollars, the relationship gets hurt in that. And it's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. That sounds like that was definitely a big pivot point in the business. So if you're yeah, curious awesome. really as to why we chose to join Alaire, it's because we we saw ourselves aligned with a really smart, dynamic group of people that we thought a lot alike with. And we could see ourselves moving our business into the future with opportunity for ourselves, but opportunity for our teams, scalability, and ways to do things different in our business that we felt as though they weren't as good as they could have been. And we could see where they could be better because we were part of a system and part of this team. And so really for us, it was all about the people. And hands down, there's some of the most amazing people we've ever met. And I'm so proud to be a part of the organization that we have because I know how much improvement we are going to have in this particular sect of the market moving forward. There's not very many others like us that do things like us. And so I'm excited to see the impact that we can have on this industry and, and how we can move it forward, make it better for everybody, not just people within a layer, but for our whole certainly, industry. Certainly not the right choice for everyone, Spencer. No. It's absolutely not the right place for everybody. And um, it was the right choice for us and some others, but not everyone. Yeah. Well, it's cool. It sounds like it was for you and you're excited. And yeah, so that's awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, because I'm sure that was a big decision. Yes. Big leap yes. of faith in some areas. And yes. yeah, well, I'm sure we could we could keep this rolling and go back and dig up some more stories, but maybe wrap us up with just like other remodelers listening. If you want to leave us with final words of wisdom or parting advice, what do you want to leave us with? I think that if you're not in an organization like the Home, like the home Builders Association, some, in some areas, chapters are strong and the HBA remodeling chapters are weak. And in some places it's switched. In some places it's both. But whatever organization you have available to you, get involved in one and then get involved in it and get to know the other people in it and really become active in it because you're going to learn something. I know I did. God knows how many times. And you've got people to bounce ideas and questions off of and 
sometimes if you just even need to complain, they understand the context without having to have that explained. But it's getting involved in different groups has been one of the most profound and profoundly good things that we've done in this. And whatever that looks like for, for anyone in the, in the industry, that's, I believe, a good pathway to learn freedom. And that freedom is not working seven days a week. That freedom is being able to travel and be available to your kids to go home and not be tethered to your phone constantly. Because you only, you know, life is short. If we spend our whole lives working, we think we're going to get to retirement somewhere. You may not make it there. If you didn't enjoy the journey, then why are you here? This is an industry where I see a lot of people working way, way, way too many hours, responding to emails nine o'clock at night. I mean, we could talk all day long about setting expectations with clients too. I mean, there's so much to get into of how you, how you set projects up from the beginning to succeed from just from a communication standpoint. God, not even the dollars, but get involved in groups because those are the people that, that will help you learn, but there'll also be an opportunity for you to give back because there's knowledge that everybody has. We can all learn from each other. That truly helps the industry, it helps the people in the industry because the industry is the people. Well said. Well said. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we actually started doing this podcast is, is like, there's so many lessons that we can learn from somebody else instead of having to go through it ourselves. So 100%. Um, yeah. 100%. And if we don't, if we don't take the time to share those, then we're leaving it up to somebody else to learn it on their own. And if we can share with somebody else, and they, they can learn another lesson, and then they can share that one with us, then it's, we'll 10x this thing. If we don't take the time to get involved and we don't take the time to share, then we're cheating, we're cheating other people in this industry, in my opinion, out of the opportunity to learn and help them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's extremely well said. And Chad, Diane, I really appreciate you guys spending the time and sharing your story today. Oh man, anytime. It's been, Thanks it's been for having fun. us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.